don't know if any of you uh, on Christmas Eve pay attention to the NORAD Santa Tracker, where you can go online and watch, you know, Santa going to various places. I think we got a slide for that. Yeah, so if you go on online and, you know, you can watch Santa go all over the world. And, you know, with most, as with most secular things on Christmas, uh, there's, there's a, an element of truth to that, uh, but then there's also things that aren't, you know, a little bit off. Um, so the element of truth to this is that the Christmas gift, the Christmas story, the true Christmas story is meant to go throughout all the world. Um, and we'll see that today as we look at the wise men who came from a far off country to come and worship the baby Jesus. Now, of course, the thing that's off a little bit is that, well, the, the gift and the giver, right? The giver of the gift isn't Santa, it's God, and the, and the gift is, is Christ himself. But hey, we'll, 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 take, we'll take a little bit of that, right? We'll take the truth part, which is, yes, um, this Christmas gift, the Christmas story is meant to go throughout the world. And we're in a series uh, called A Story Bigger Than Your Own, because the Christmas story is a worldwide story, it's... it's a part of the story where God steps into human history in the form of the Christ child and brings salvation uh, to the whole world. And that, that's a story bigger than any one of us, a story bigger than any one person and bigger than any one nation. And that's a part of that wonderful truth in last week. And so we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've circled back to chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew, because one in, chapters 1 and 2 are Jesus' origin story. And so we read about how last week, how a, an angel came to Joseph and said, Joseph, this baby that's going to be in Mary's belly is born of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how he will be, his names tell us about who he is, that his name would be Jesus. And Jesus means God is salvation, that he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us, that this child is God with us to save us. So that no matter what situation that we happen to be in, um, God can be in that situation, working in us and changing us, changing the situation, bringing us salvation. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, in the scripture, the Morales has read the scripture, um, it, we actually then jump to after, after Jesus was born. Matthew uh, talks about Jesus before he was born and after, but he actually doesn't describe it like the Gospel of Luke. And, and so as we come... To Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, again, we see in the Christmas story that this gift of Jesus is a gift for the whole world, and it's a story bigger than any one person or nation. And when Matthew describes, uh, again, he doesn't describe the birth, but then in verses 1 and 2, these wise men, these magi, they just show up. <laughs> so verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Wow, so these prominent strangers, so these aren't just like nomadic people, strange, like these are people of some prominence, they just roll into Jerusalem and say, hey, you know, where's this newborn king? And now these are magi. These are wise men. Uh, and, and so what is that? <laughs> 
Well, Magi were, uh, they're from the east, so they're probably from what's Persia, modern-day Iran, and these guys were actually pagan astrologers. Uh, these would be those who would, uh, magi would watch the, the stars in the, in the sky. They'd look at the planets. They'd look at the stars. And then they would speculate on what the gods were doing and things. And so while they're in their country, they see a strange star. And they, so they speculate and they see where it's rising. And so they speculate and they say, well, this, there's a king, a new king. This is the star of a king. And judging from where it is, he's going to be born in Israel. So they roll up into the Israeli capital. That makes sense. If there's a king born, you'd go to the capital of that city, of that country. So they come to Jerusalem and it's like, where's, hey, where's the newborn king? We, we've come to, to worship him, to pay him homage. And they're assuming, well, that the new king would be in the capital. It's a valid assumption. Before we get any further, I think this shows us a couple things, and we'll talk about it more later, but God is at work in all sorts of places and people that we wouldn't expect, preparing people, revealing himself to people. So we, should ex we shouldn't expect God to be confined to our boundaries and our borders. Uh, there's no place that God hasn't gone before. And we'll talk about that more. But th right then and there, we wow, these... Pagan astrologers from the East, they just show up. God had been doing something, even if had no idea what was going on. So these visitors from a foreign land, all right, they, they come and their announcement and their presence trouble the political and religious establishment of that time and place. So we read in verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod was troubled, and when Herod's troubled, everybody's troubled, because he was a bad man. And Herod, he asks his religious experts, hey, do you know anything about this? <laughs> do, you, do you know where this child is supposed to be born? And so the biblical scholars that he consult, they look and they quote the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, who centuries prior to this, okay, centuries prior to Jesus, had said a ruler would come from the town of Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was a smaller town about five miles south of Jerusalem. So not too far. Remember, Matthew is often points out prophecy. He often points out how Jesus fulfills prophecy because he wants to show that this Jesus and the events um, tap into that larger story and that this is a supernatural thing going on. Well, Herod... He doesn't like any potential rivals. Um, and, in, and indeed, by this time, uh, Jew, uh, Herod was an old man. He, was, he, was, he wouldn't last too much long after this. Uh, but he had already killed many of his rivals, his political rivals. In fact, he killed several of his own family members already by this time because he grew suspicious and he didn't want them taking his power. And, if, and, and you, you all like when I do puns, right? 
Yeah, a lot of you like puns. Well, let's try this one. So Caesar Augustus, he was the Roman emperor at the time. So Herod was a client king. He was the king over, uh, over Israel, but, you know, the Roman Empire was over everyone at that time. And so Caesar Augustus, he heard about Herod and all of his, yeah, killings and stuff. And so he said, I would rather be Herod's hus instead of his huihus. Oh, you, don't like, you don't like Greek puns? <laughs> so what, what that means is I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. I'd rather be his hus than his huihus because he killed his sons. All right, so now that I know, so, all right, so you like puns, but only in English. I'm, that's what I'm getting at. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to note that so that, all right, in the future, don't use Greek puns. Um, but this speaks to Herod, and like he was well known for being brutal to his own children. And so we're not surprised that he immediately, when the wise men tell him about this, he immediately starts scheming. Uh, he, and so verse 7 says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly. And ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod, he's sneaky. What he's doing is he's gathering intelligence. So he's gathered from his advisors, all right, this child, this new king is born in Bethlehem. Then he talks to the wise men and, and, and realizes about when he's born. So now he kind of knows the, the age of the child he's looking for. And now he lies to the wise men to try to get them to get him even more intelligence. Hey, when you find the child, report to me. Because he's not going to worship him, he's going to kill him. But he's using the wise men for that purpose, to find the child. Verse 9, and after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star that they saw that first led them to Israel, okay, they, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy because they see it again. Now, how does this work? This is, in my mind, this is how it was, is that the, the first star they saw was sort of an, an astronomical event. So there was a star there, and they, they followed it just like sailors and stuff, you know, you know, navigate by the stars. This was a new star. They followed it. But then when they got to Israel, they're like, okay, well, we'll go to the, the capital because, you know, this, we're here. But then something else happened, whether God sent an angel or whatever, but that star seemed to move to go right over the place that the child was. And because they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And remember, this, is, this week we're doing Advent joy candle. So they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy because now they've, they've been led to the child. The purpose of their mission is being fulfilled, and the star is leading them right where they need to go. And so verse 11 and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So they find this child and they worship him. And they give him gifts fit for a king, gold, frankincense and myrrh. By the way, people, this is why you don't invite men to a baby shower. 
because this is the kind of things that we bring. Um, but, but they weren't, so maybe these things weren't fit for a baby. I mean, that myrrh, like if that's, that's like concentrated resin perfume kind of stuff. You know, that, that baby would eat that and make him sick. But so it's not, it's not fit for a baby, but it is fit for a king. And that's why they brought it, is they're not acknowledging, oh, it's a new baby. They're acknowledging this is a new king. So they bring gifts of worship because notice they, they worship him. And a part of worship is not just saying, hey, you're great. You're the new king. It's bringing gifts to pay homage. And they bring gifts from their land, things that it's like, what can we bring in a concentrated form that has tremendous value that reflects the value of this child? Well, gold, but also in that time, you know, perfumes and stuff that you would, they would be in a small package. You'd add water to them and they were very valuable. But these strangers from a strange land recognize this child as the promised king and they worship him. They worship him. It's amazing. Now, a skeptic might say, well, that's not that big of a deal that they worshiped him because they're pagans, right? And as pagans, they believed in lots of gods and demigods and all of that stuff. So it's not a big deal that they worshiped him. But remember, who's telling us? Who's reporting about this? It's Matthew. And Matthew chose to include some things. He could leave other things out if he wanted to. And Matthew... As the, the writer of the gospel, I mean, he was Jewish. He knew the, the commandments. You don't worship anyone but God alone. And in fact, remember when we um, went through the temptations of Jesus in Matthew, that Jesus, when Satan told uh, him to worship him, Jesus is like, you can only worship God alone. And yet, Matthew, here and elsewhere, unashamedly describes people worshiping Jesus. Amazing. And I think Matthew is talking about, hey, these, these strangers from a strange land, they get it. They get who this child is. And the nations are streaming to him just as it should be. Now, this is very familiar, this part of the story. But, and so let, let's change it up a bit. Let's imagine... If, when these wise men came, that Joseph and Mary were like, oh, no, 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 no. You are pagans. You practice astrology. This is the Messiah of Israel, the holy child of God. You can't be coming around here with that pagan junk coming near my child he is holy so get out of here with that astrology stuff maybe when you get rid of that stuff you can come worship this Christ child what what if Mary and Joseph did that but they didn't because actually nations streaming to the Christ child, when, when God brings his redemption, that is how it's supposed to be. That is actually in, read Isaiah chapter 60 through 66. The nations are supposed to stream and bring their treasures to Jesus. 
to this Christ, to God. That needs to be our, the way we think of things too. That we want people to take a step towards Jesus. If someone is journeying towards Jesus, we want to promote that. We want to encourage that. Because that's where they need to go. The, the famous evangelist, uh, Chinese evangelist, Watchman Nee, that was, that was how he, he said, basically, what we need to do is just get people to encounter Jesus. Like, that is our goal, because if they encounter Jesus, their lives will be changed. That's what they need. But so many times, we think we need to be gatekeepers, gatekeepers to Christ and say, oh, oh, you want to come to Jesus? You want to worship Jesus? Well, b before you even take a step, l l let me just lay it out. You know, that astrology stuff, that doesn't fly. We feel like we need to do that kind of thing. Instead of just saying, oh, you're taking a step towards Jesus? And yeah, in our mind, we're like, eh, I don't know about that. But you're going exactly where you need to go. And we, and I know you're tracking with me right now. And I know you're like, yeah, yeah, of course, that makes sense. But yet we apply this so inconsistently. So for instance, if a, if, if a young couple comes to our church or whatever, and they're or asking questions about Jesus and, 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 you know, they're living together or whatever, we're like, yeah, they just need Jesus. Like that's, they're where they should be. We don't need to say, hey, you know, this, uh, what you're doing, whatever. No, we just want them to come to Jesus. But, but yet, if someone from the LGBT community comes, we're like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Don't, don't you know that before you come to Jesus, he's not down with that stuff? No, we just want them, like, we want them to meet Jesus. Or, now I'm going to be meddling, you know, 70% of men in the United States have looked at pornography in the last month. So, if, um, if, if a man is going to visit us, are we like, oh, wait a minute, I'm just playing the averages here? But before you come and worship Jesus, I want you to know, you got to get rid of that porn. We don't do that. We, we, we rather say, no, come to Jesus, learn about him, worship him, and he'll change your life. You see, it doesn't compromise our convictions, what other people do. No, our main conviction is you come to Jesus, he'll change you. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll change what you value and what you look for. And so, yeah, the astro do, do we have a conviction that astrology is kind of suspect and, yeah, you probably shouldn't practice astrology? Yes, we have that conviction. But we're not going to stop the wise men. We're not going to stop the magi from coming and worshiping Jesus. That's exactly what they need to be about. That needs to be our mindset. Yes, we have convictions. We don't compromise those convictions, but our primary conviction is there's only one Savior, and I'm not him. There's only one judge, and I'm not him. But what each person needs is to come to the judge, come to, the G to Jesus, and be transformed. And that's what happens with these wise men, is they encounter Jesus, they go home in another way, and, and God is still interacting with them because he warns them in a dream. So 
just a couple things to note because I don't want you to have incorrect nativity scenes. Um, this was probably sometime after Christ's birth, right? Anywhere from maybe two weeks to two years because the, the family is still in Bethlehem, right? Uh, but they're in a house. And we know from Luke that when they first got, there was no room for them in any house or any inn. So some time have, has probably expired. So, you know, when we have our, our nativity scene and you put the magi there, you know, that's, well, they, they probably came like a year later. So if a wise guy comes to you like me and says, hey, you know, those, those wise men probably weren't in there at, at that night, you can say, well, no, but these are the wise men from last year's nativity scene, right? <laughs> They, they've just arrived here now. Um, but more importantly than the timing of all this, I think the main point that Matthew is making is that the religious and the political leaders, they fail to recognize Jesus. They become hostile to Jesus because he's challenging the status quo. But on the other hand, the, the wise men, these outsiders, they not only recognize who Jesus is, but they give him the worship due him. Because this is a story bigger than any one nation, any, bigger than any one leader. And that can be threatening. That can be threatening to people who want to be top dog. And, so, and, and that always happens. You, you either, when you encounter Jesus, you either worship him as the king or you go to war against him if you want to be king, if you want to be top dog. Because a new king, a new savior, that, that's good news if you're looking for a king, if you're looking for a savior. But if you want to be king, or if you want to be savior, well, then that's not good news. Like Herod, you're going to be troubled by that. You're going to be troubled by the fact that there's only one king and I'm not him. You're going to be troubled by the fact that there's only one savior and I'm not him. Because this is a story bigger than our own. This is a king above all kings. And you'll either worship this child or you will go to war against him. Now, a part of our mission here at Second Baptist Church is to worship God, is to worship this Christ child. It's, in, it's what we do. It's who we are. It is our mission. The other part is to love people and then to grow Christ followers. It's to spread this worship of Jesus throughout the world. And I think this episode with the wise men helps and forms us. What does that look like? How should we think about bringing this good news of the Savior throughout the world? It's not about Santa in, on NORAD and the, the Santa Tracker, but it's a part of our mission to bring that message throughout the world. One of the ways it informs us is, as I mentioned before, God is at work in all sorts of places, preparing people and revealing himself. And so he reveals himself in nature. We had our creation Bible study this summer where, it's, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we went out in nature and saw how um, so oftentimes the beauty of creation draws us to the creator. And with the wise men, they saw in the stars and it drew them to God. Now, we know, though, that, all right, that gives us a step towards Jesus. But then we need an encounter with Jesus, Right? 
But nonetheless, we understand God is at work with all sorts of people, people we wouldn't even think of. He is at work because this is a story bigger than our own. This is a God who is over all of the world. And so God has a story bigger than ourselves, bigger than our church, bigger than our nation, and he is working his story and his purposes out. And this should affect how we do missions, how we um, spread the good news of Jesus. That, um, you know, we, we, we had you all fill out some of those things. What should we focus on this next year? And many of you put outreach, and that's wonderful. And, and so outreach, it, what it really is, is assuming God is doing a work in people, people driving by right now. Maybe God is working in their heart. And so we pray, God, what are you doing? Because I want to step into what you're doing and take part in the mission of spreading your love and your spirit throughout the world. We, we have an assumption. God doesn't need us. God's the Savior. He's at work, and we step into that work locally. We do that. So we pray constantly, God, what are you doing? I want to be a part of it. But also internationally, we want to partner with people who don't think, oh, we're going to bring Christianity to this place. No, God's already at work there. And so we want to partner with people, national, uh, uh, national Christians who know how to reach Christians in their country. In January, I'll be going to a place, and I'll tell you more when we're not online, um, for a couple of weeks to, to train local pastors. But they, they invited us. They're like, we, we, need, we want to train our pastors, so we're going to invite people who have their PhDs to help equip these pastors so that they then can do a work in their place. But God's already there. We're not the Savior's rolling in. No, the Savior's already rolled in. He's already doing a wonderful work in them. And so we come alongside and say, you know what you're doing. How can we help? So that's also how we do missions. That's how we partner with people. But that God is at work all over the world. That's not only scriptural, we have evidence of that right here, right here in our congregation. I mean, there are people from all over the world, God has done a work in them, and they happen to be here right with us at, at Second Baptist, right? So we got the Yoons, right? Esther Yoon, God did a work in her in Korea. We got the Atimbos, the Amajolas. We got the Lowe family from the African continent, we got Marco, South America, South American continent. I mean, these are just it's an evidence that no God, this God is a worldwide God, and He has done things in people, led them to Christ far away from this place, and yet we've gathered together. It's a testament to God's grace, a testament that God is a worldwide God. Not only that, but those of you who've been born in New England, like me, my generations go back, New England. Well, Jesus wasn't a New Englander. <laughs> Jesus wasn't an American. He was a Jew born in Palestine in the first century. And so, unless you're of that background, we all come to Jesus as foreigners, as Gentiles. That the, the fact that we are here in South Hadley, Massachusetts, is a testament that God is a worldwide God. Because those Magi didn't come to South Hadley. They came to Bethlehem. 
And so as we go to Bethlehem, as we worship God and, and Christ and, and, and trust in him, we're, this is a testament that God is a worldwide God. He's the savior of the world. God is, is at work in all nations, and all nations will stream to him. That's how it's supposed to be. And then the, the final thing that, just to keep going on this, is uh, I think Christmas itself is a good case study on how Jesus is a gift to the whole world. So we need to be careful not to confuse our cultural expressions with the truth and think that, you know, people becoming Christians means people becoming like me. No, it, it means people becoming more and more like Jesus. It means not following me, not following us and what we're used to, but following Jesus and that different people from different cultures, that's going to look a little bit different. The same core truths, but different expressions. And Christmas is, is a good example of this because, you know, we got some beautiful poinsettias here and a Christmas, we, there's a Christmas tree out there. This, that stuff really doesn't have anything to do with Jesus' birth. It doesn't. There's nothing wrong with it. It's as our, our culture, how we were brought up, that's how we sort of celebrate Christmas. And that's okay. But realize there's people celebrating Jesus' birth all over the world that don't have poinsettias. And, that, and that's okay. We don't, we don't think if, if the, oh, you don't have a poinsettia, you don't have a Christmas tree, you must not celebrate Christmas. No. We have to be careful to say we want people to follow Jesus, not just follow us. You know, for instance, when I was in Ukraine and, and, and teaching there, um, they sent me an email and wished me a Merry Christmas in January because the, they celebrate Christmas on January 7th this year. I mean, you might think, well, aren't they Baptists? Well, yeah, they're Baptists, but they, they come from the Eastern Orthodox uh, culture which celebrates Christmas on January 7th or 6th, depending. And it just shows us that God is a worldwide God. The Magi show us that people from all over the world are meant to stream to Christ and pay homage to him with the things from their native land. And so let's not shrink down the Savior to fit into our little kingdom and our little customs. Christ is the creator and the sustainer of the whole universe. <laughs> not, just, not just my little piece of it. Let all the nations come to him. And so if you're here today and you know that Christ, or you're watching online and you know that Christ has been working in your heart. He's been drawing you like the wise men. That yeah, Maybe you're not from a Christian family. Maybe you're not, or, or, or you gave up this whole Jesus thing a long time ago, and yet you feel him drawing you to him. Go to him. Don't worry about all of the things that you might be like, well, what about this? What about that? Uh, do I need to do this? I don't, no, just go to Jesus. Go and worship him. Bring whatever you have. Lay it at his feet. And he will infuse your life with the true meaning of Christmas, a purpose beyond yourself, a power and a spirit beyond any of your own little kingdom, beyond our nation, beyond everything. 
Just go to him, and we encourage you to do that. Wherever you are on your journey, go to Jesus. Even if you think, well, no, you don't understand. I'm all into astrology and stuff. Just go to Jesus. <laughs> Just go, go to him. And we want you to do that. And if you have come to Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's not put a stumbling block before anyone if they're heading to Jesus. Let's encourage that step and trust that God will do what he does to each one of us. He will change us from the inside out and be okay with the messiness of it. Of, whoa, this, don't, don't you, pastor, did you know that, that those magi practice astrology? <laughs> I know, I know, but, it, but if they're taking a step towards Jesus, that's where they need to go. So let's encourage that. And yeah, it's going to be a little bit messy. But the, guess what? Jesus can handle it. He can handle it because he is the Savior of the world. He's not just the, the Savior of, of Second Baptist Church. He can handle it. And so let him handle it. So go to Jesus today and, and encourage your friends and neighbors, no matter where they're at, consider Jesus. He is our Savior. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful that you are the God of the universe, and yet you took on human flesh, you put aside your divine prerogatives, your holiness, and came to this messed up world to save us, to save a sinner like me, God. And so we are so grateful. Lord, we pray that the truth of your goodness, the truth that you are to be worshipped, the truth of who you are, would go from this place on Christmas. And Lord, we're grateful. You've done a work in us. There's so many that could come and stand and testify that you touched them, not here, but somewhere halfway across the globe. We're so grateful for that, Lord. May we not shrink you down this Christmas. May instead we proclaim your goodness and your grace. Lord, draw people to yourself now. May some who are listening to these words, Lord, may they come to you as the wise men came to you and worship you. Lord, if it's for the first time even, or for the 100th time, we lay down at your feet all things that we have because you are the king. And we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.